evening. Hope that you have your Bibles out and ready to study along with us from the Word of God. We're going to be looking at the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 this evening that we just had in our reading. We are so grateful for your presence and your interest to come back and join us once again this evening to be able to spend time together as brothers and sisters in Christ and worship to our God, to meditate on some things from the Scriptures. We hope that tonight will be beneficial to us as we are going to engage in a study on fellowship as we have been engaged in throughout the year periodically. And this is what I call a bonus lesson uh, because, first off, I didn't think I was going to actually get to preach this sermon. And then all of a sudden, Wednesday, I found out that I'm, I have an opportunity to preach it and I better get it worked up pretty quickly. And so um, I am going to be able to... I'm thankful that I get to present this lesson Tonight, and hopefully that we can be encouraged and edified as we think about some of the things that Paul says here, beginning at 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Throughout our study on fellowship, we have noticed how we have fellowship with God the Father and how we are to have fellowship in His nature as well, that we are to walk in the light as He is in the light. We have also seen that because of God's faithfulness, we have fellowship with Jesus Christ, His Son, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. So we see that we have fellowship with God and we have fellowship uh, with Jesus, His Son. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul makes a statement that would describe the triune God, the, the three persons in the Godhead. In verse 14, where he, when he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Here Paul mentions the Father, he mentions the Son, and he mentions the Holy Spirit. This is something that other New Testament writers do, and they don't use the same exact phrases here, but they recognize that our relationship with each person of the Godhead. In, second, in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 28, in Matthew chapter 28 and in verse 19, Jesus, as He was giving the great commission to the disciples, He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see, again, there the nature that this command involved recognizing to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. There is a relationship between each of the persons of the Godhead that a disciple has. Also in the book of 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter, as he is beginning his letter to several different churches throughout the uh, Roman Empire, he says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, talking about the salvation that we have according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. So again, you see here that He is recognizing that each member of the Godhead has a unique role in our salvation. That God, He had the foreknowledge of it, that He foreordained and decreed that this plan would be involving His Son Jesus, and Jesus, He sprinkled His blood, shedding His blood, and the Spirit has sanctified us. He has a role in sanctifying us that we're going to talk about tonight. 
And so this is, I think, in very much in harmony what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14 is very much in harmony with what Peter says and what Jesus says. That we recognize the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This is not something that should surprise us in any way. And now there's some debate about this passage of Scripture and what it means exactly. What is this fellowship of the Holy Spirit? And there are some ideas that you could perhaps walk away from and take uh, from this passage that we have fellowship with the Spirit. That is one of the ideas. That might be the simplest and most plain meaning of the passage. But another is looking at the whole context which we read tonight in ver from verse 11 through verse 14 where Paul is talking about our relationship with our brothers and sisters. He's talking about rejoicing with our brethren and being made complete, being comforted, being like-minded and living in peace. He says all those kinds of things in verse 11. He talks about how we need to greet each other and all the saints greet you. And he's talking about our relationships with one another. But then he says in verse 14 that we have this fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the idea is that maybe the, with this fellowship that we have one, with one another is what the Holy Spirit provides. And so we don't have fellowship with the Holy Spirit per se, but we have fellowship with one another because of the Holy Spirit. That's another common view about it. But I want to suggest to you tonight that perhaps it's not an either-or question. Perhaps it's a both-and in situation where both of these things could be true. That perhaps we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit because of His work in creating fellowship between believers. And I think we can see this tonight as we study and we look and examine in the Scriptures about the work and the role of the Holy Spirit and how He has a role in many of the important facets of our life that we do have a fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Now, I think we need to be clear in what we mean by this. And I don't mean that the Spirit somehow bodily indwells us and causes us to think or to do things against our will. That is not at all what this would imply. And I'm not trying to suggest that the Spirit does something without the Gospel and without the truth, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit, when He acts and when He does things, He does so in accordance with the will of God. That's something that's extremely important for us to acknowledge and to understand about the work of the Holy Spirit, that He does so, that He acts in sometimes a very limited fashion, that He does what He has been told, that He does what the Father's will is. He does things in accordance and in harmony with the will of God. And so I think we want to acknowledge those things up front about this lesson and about the work of the Holy Spirit and more broadly. And so tonight I want us to consider some ways in which the Holy Spirit, that we find ourselves working with Him, that He partners with us and we partner with Him, that we participate in the work that He has provided and that we benefit because of His work. And that is, first off, the Holy Spirit in our salvation. This is something critical for us to acknowledge and appreciate that we have a relationship with the Spirit because of 
His role in salvation. We already noted in Matthew chapter 28, rather, that, and in verse 19, that whenever we are baptized, we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, I think, also makes this abundantly clear. The Gospel of John in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, whenever Nicodemus comes to him at night and he is asking him uh, certain things, Jesus tells him in verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, he begins by teaching Nicodemus, you have to be born again. He then goes on in verse after Nicodemus asks him, well, how can that be? Can a person be uh, enter his mother's womb a second time? And I think Nicodemus obviously understands that's an impossibility. And he says, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Here Jesus not only combines the idea of being born with water, being born again, and he also associates it with being born of the Spirit, which he goes on to talk about in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He says, Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. What Jesus is trying to get across to Nicodemus is that it's not about being born of fleshly descent, that it's not about that you have Abraham's blood in, in your veins or anything of that nature, that it's that you are born of the Spirit, that you are someone who is seeking to do the will of God, that you have been regenerated, that you've been born again, that you have been given a new heart and a new life. And that is going to come through whenever you are born in water. That you're going to be born again. You're going to be sanctified. The Apostle Paul, as he is writing to Titus, he says something that I believe is very much in harmony with what Jesus says. In Titus chapter 3, in the book of Titus, in Titus chapter 3 and in verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared... He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That God has saved us through His mercy and through the Spirit's washing of regeneration. Now I want you to see that there, there's God the Father or Jesus here that, are, that is that shows His mercy and the Spirit is washing. He is washing and regenerating us. That word regeneration just means to be made alive again. He's making us alive. Those who are dead spiritually, He's making us alive. I believe this washing and the idea that Jesus introduces that we must be born of water is an obvious reference to baptism. In which, you know, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, and Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, whenever Ananias was speaking to Saul of Tarsus, in Acts 22, verse 16, he tells him to get up and be baptized and wash 
away your sins. That's the washing of regeneration. That is when someone is born again. That is when someone is made alive. God, through His mercy, you become a child of God and a saint. And I think it, it, what we need to recognize is that the Holy Spirit is involved in that process in some way. And we benefit from His work. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is in perfect harmony with what Paul says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is talking about the body of Christ, the church, and he tells us in verse 13, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one Spirit. And the Holy Spirit works in baptism in some way, to add us to the body of Christ. And so I think it should come to no surprise that we have fellowship with the Spirit in this. Our fellowship was with the Spirit and through the Holy Spirit because He has saved us, because He has washed us, because He has been part of the process in which makes us alive in adding us to the church of Jesus Christ. Now He hasn't done anything that would be uh, against our free will. He hasn't violated that in any way. He hasn't acted upon us in a direct fashion to change us in some miraculous sense. He hasn't given us faith or anything of that nature. It's not that He is doing something to us or acting upon us in a direct fashion. It's that He is a... He is coordinating and working with God just as much as God is the Father who planned our salvation, how much Jesus was a part of that plan, and the Spirit has a role in that as well. We need to just stop and appreciate the work of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. That's something that Peter recognizes, that Jesus says that when we are baptized, we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that our salvation is connected with the work of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we also want to see the Spirit's work in sanctification in our life. What we see in passages such as 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in 1 Corinthians the 6th chapter, and in verses 19 and 20, the Apostle Paul he says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. This is a passage in a context in which Paul has been talking about the sin of sexual immorality in committing fornication and adultery, and how that is an improper use of the body. And so Paul is wanting us to see that your body, it belongs to God. God is concerned with how you use your body. That is something that is important for us to understand and appreciate, that God is concerned with the whole person and if you are using the body which He created and which He has given you, if you are using that as an instrument to participate in ungodly and unrighteous behavior, 
And God is angered by that. He's made it very clear in verses 15 and 16, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? That we have joined ourselves, if we are a saint, if we are a Christian, we are joined with Christ. He says, shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? Or he says the two shall become flesh. So what Paul is trying to get us to see is that it's ungodly for us to use our body in a way that would gratify and please the sexual desire in a way that is outside of God's plan for marriage. And he connects all of these ideas with our holiness, with our sanctification. He says in verse 19 that your body is to be used for holiness. It's to be an instrument of holiness. That's why he's talking about the body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Since your body is not your own. And that's something that we have very mixed up in our country, isn't it? In our society. God has, He rules over us. He rules over our bodies, even. He says, You have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Be obedient to Him. Live in the way that God has expected you to live. He expects us to live holy as He is holy. And the Holy Spirit plays an important part in that process. In the passage that we looked at at the beginning of our study in 1 Peter chapter 1, notice in 1 Peter chapter 1 what Peter says the work of the Spirit is in our salvation. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 2, he talks about the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Spirit, that the Spirit he sanctifies us. He sanctifies us on an individual level that we as the people who are in this body and have this body, we are to be using our body for the purpose and the glory of God. That means that we are going to have to bring our bodies under control. That we're going to have to live in a way that would be holy and righteous. Our body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't force us or anything of that nature, but that this is talking about our relationship with Him. That our body is an instrument to be used for righteousness, not ungodliness. But then the Holy Spirit is also involved in the collective sanctification in the church. It's not that just you individually are sanctified and holy people, but it's that all of us as the corporate body, the collective group, we are to be holy as the Lord's church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul makes Basically an identical statement. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And that you there in verse 16 is a plural you. It's a second person plural that you are... He's talking to the group. If we were in the south, we'd say y'all. That the Spirit of God dwells in y'all. And it is the group. 
in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, in Ephesians the second chapter, in Ephesians chapter 2 and in verses 19 through 21, the Apostle Paul says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. He's talking about the church, how you are the house of God, the family of God, how He's being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being Himself being the cornerstone. He's talking about how we are fellow citizens, that is nationalistic kind of language, kingdom kind of language. He talks about how we are a household, that's a family. The idea of being built on a foundation, that's again a construction kind of language of a house. And then he says in verse 21, "...in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord." So now we have temple language. If you've ever heard someone say, don't mix your metaphors, they need to first talk to the Apostle Paul because he mixes his metaphors all of the time. He says in verse 21 that we are growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In verse 22, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. That as the corporate group, as the collective body, the church, the Spirit dwells among us. He is here in the presence of God. He is God's presence among us. And the idea of the temple, the church is the temple of God in which the Holy Spirit dwells. Under the Old Covenant, you think back to the tabernacle and the temple, they were the place of worship and sacrifice. It was the meeting place between heaven and earth, God and man. It contained the holy place, and then it contained the most holy place. And all the sacrifices, all the worship activities that would be performed at the tabernacle or at the temple, those were to cleanse the people. It was the place where confession of sin and sacrifice for sin would be made. The church is very much an extension of that. Not in a physical way, but in a spiritual way. That This is the place where we come together to confess our sins, where we recognize our Savior and we remember Him and His death. Where we come to learn about God's will. The idea of holiness. Worship and reverence and obedience. Those are the demands that we see from God. That holy worship, it demands that we honor God in our dress and our behavior. We honor Him through our careful concern for doing things in a proper way. And so the Holy Spirit certainly has a work in sanctifying us. But that is not separate from the Word of God. Because we learn as Jesus was praying on the night that He was going to be handed over to Pilate. In John chapter 17, and in verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. 
Your Word is truth. Just a few chapters earlier on the same night, just a little bit earlier, in John chapter 14 and in verse 17, Jesus was telling the apostles that the help was going to come. He says, that is the Spirit of truth. He was going to come and He was going to reveal truth. The Holy Spirit was going to come. The Holy Spirit, how does He sanctify us? How does He cleanse us? How does He make us holy? It's through the Word of God. He has instructed us. He has given us the commands. He's given us God's law. He has given us all the things that we need to know and that we need to put into our life. And so our fellowship with the Spirit becomes quite evident when we live righteously and obediently to the Spirit's commands. This is a partnership. The Spirit has revealed to us what we are to do. And when we act and obey, when we worship God in spirit and in truth, we are doing so in a way that would bring a, a partnership alive. We have a fellowship with the Spirit. That we have fellowship with one another as we continue to participate together in that worship and in our sanctified living. The third way that we have fellowship with the Spirit is because of the Spirit revelation. As Jesus in John chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus was telling the apostles that they were going to receive the Holy Spirit. And His special role of revealing truth to them. As we noted in John chapter 14 and in verse 17 that the Spirit of truth was going to come. Jesus would say just a few verses later in verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So the... Apostles were going to be given this miraculous gift of remembrance of what Jesus said. All that He had said. In chapter 15 and in verses 26 and 27, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about Me and you will testify also because you have been front with Me from the beginning. And then Jesus goes on in chapter 16 to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, how He is going to be the Helper that will come to them. And how He is going to, in verse 8, He is going to come and convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That the Spirit's revelation and revealing of the truth has a threefold purpose. First, He's going to convict the world of sin by the that He is revealed through the Gospel. When we hear the Gospel proclaimed, when we hear God's Word, we are being introduced to the truth. And that should convict our soul and our heart of the sin that we have committed. And then He's going to convict the world of sin through the danger of rejecting Jesus. He says... There, and as Jesus begins to explain in verse 9 concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. The world rejects Jesus. The world rejects Jesus. 
The Spirit has revealed the truth and warns of the dangers of rejecting Christ. The Spirit also convicts the world of righteousness. He convicts us in our hearts that we need to obey the Father and do His will. He convicts the world of judgment because Satan has been judged. He makes very clear in verse 11 concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Satan has been destroyed. Jesus is the avenue of liberty and freedom and we are going to be judged. Do you want death and destruction by following Satan or do you want life and liberty through Jesus Christ? We have a choice to make. And the Spirit's revelation gives us that choice. And He convicts us of what is right. And through the Holy Spirit's work in revealing the truth to the apostles, He has made known the truth about sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. And in John chapter 8, earlier in the Gospel of John, John chapter 8, and in verse 31, Jesus he made some statements about sin and being enslaved to it. He says in verse 31, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed Him, if you continue in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The Spirit is the agent who revealed the truth to us. And Jesus makes it clear that the truth, God's Word and the Gospel, that is what will set us free. He goes on in verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. That liberty and freedom is found in Jesus Christ. The truth is what sets us free from sin and death. The Spirit has revealed that truth. And so whenever we obey the truth, when we obey the truth, you're given life. But as Paul would warn us in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 2, in Romans chapter 2, and in verses 8 and 9, Paul is talking about those who do not obey the truth. Those who are committed to unrighteousness and disobedience. He says that they are selfishly ambitious, those who do not obey the truth in verse 8. They obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. And in contrast to that, as he's talking about those who are disobedient, those who do not obey the truth, they're going to be punished. In contrast to that, you have eternal life promised to those who do what is right. He says in verse 7, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Again in verse 10, but glory and honor and peace to everyone 
who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That eternal life is given to those who do good, to those who are obedient, to those who obey the truth. And so we have fellowship with the Spirit when we obey the truth that He has revealed. And so there's a partnership again that we see. That as He has been the revealer of truth, we participate in the truth. When we, when we obey the truth. When we obey the truth, the truth saves us and we then have fellowship with the Spirit of truth. And then a fourth and final way that we are going to consider this evening is the Spirit's role in intercession and through our prayers. In Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 18, Paul says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. In the book of Jude, in Jude in verse 20, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And then again in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 8, a passage that we'll spend some time on this evening, in Romans chapter 8 and verses 26 and 27, Paul says, In the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What we can see here in these passages is that the Holy Spirit has a role in intercession and in prayer. That when we are praying, we are to pray in the Spirit. We are to continually be praying in the Holy Spirit, Jude tells us. And in the Romans in Romans chapter 8, the Spirit helps us in our prayers. Turn to Romans chapter 8 and verses 26 and 27. That's the passage that I want us to really kind of zoom in on for a little bit, the remaining minutes that we have. Kelsey, after that comment, I really wanted to attack on that 15 minutes. But in Romans chapter 8 and verses 26 and 27. He says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. There's a word there. That the Spirit helps us. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit helps and He intercedes for us. The word help there, it is a fairly uncommon word in the Greek New Testament. It's only used in one other passage in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 10 and verse 40. And it's when Martha is complaining that her sister isn't helping her. Uh, as uh, Mary is 
there listening to Jesus only. That's all that she's doing. You know, and Martha is just upset about, about it. And she's like, Jesus, you need to tell Mary to come help me prepare things here in the kitchen and get things ready. That you need to make her come help me. And what I think is important to just recognize about that in that example is that it reveals that two parties come together performing complementary tasks to complete a unified task. And what the what Paul is trying to get us to see is that the Spirit helps us in our weakness as we struggle and we do not know how to pray as we should. There are going to be moments in our life where we just are suffering, where we don't know exactly what we ought to pray and how we ought to pray. We don't know what we should pray for, perhaps, at times. And the Spirit is a comfort to us. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Again, I want to make this clear that the Spirit is not giving us words. He's not doing something to us. He's not acting on us. He's not doing something to us. He's not giving us words. But that He is interceding for us. As we find in verse 27, He who searches the hearts, that is God, the Father, that He searches the hearts... He knows what the mind of the Spirit is. He knows what the Spirit is groaning. Those words that are too deep for us to understand or to know, the Lord knows. God understands because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And there we again see that the Spirit's intercessory work is in accordance to the will of God. And this is all in harmony with how God Acts. The Spirit's aid and help in our prayers is a benefit and a privilege that we have as Christians to know that we are not alone, to know that we have access to God. That we need to remember this, that the Spirit is helping us when we struggle, when we are suffering. The Spirit is able to intercede on our behalf when we don't know what we should pray for. The Spirit's intercession is not something that the Holy Spirit does for us. It's not, it's not something the Spirit does to us. It is something He does for us, rather. The Holy Spirit is not enabling us to pray. He does not give us the Word to pray. The Spirit's intercession brings expressions to the Father on our behalf. That He is acting as an intercessor. That He is one who is presenting Himself before God in representing us. Some might say, well, why does God need the Spirit to tell Him what's on our mind? I think that's perhaps reading things a little, a little bit too, too narrowly. Because in the Gospel of Matthew, I want to show you this. In Matthew chapter 10, in Matthew the 10th chapter, in Matthew chapter 10 and in verse 32, Jesus, He says, Therefore, everyone who confesses Me before men, I will also confess Him before My Father who is in heaven. 
that Jesus, He is our mediator. He intercedes on our behalf from time to time. And He's saying that if we confess Christ, then Christ will confess our name before the Father. He's bringing something to the Father. I don't think He's finding, I don't think He's giving the Father some information that the Father doesn't already know. But what we acknowledge is that there is a work that is involved here, that Jesus is representing us. He is our advocate as well, as we learn in First in John, in First John chapter one. In the book of First John, or chapter two, rather, and in verse one, and he says, "And my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. The righteous, that idea of being our advocate, that He is one who represent, uh, represents us before the Father. The Spirit also has a work of interceding on our behalf and expressing some things to God. Not that He's giving God new information, but it's that He is helping fulfill a role before God. So I think what we can see this evening is that we can have fellowship with the Holy Spirit because we benefit and participate in the Spirit's Word. The Spirit has saved us. The Spirit has sanctified us. The Spirit has revealed the truth to us, which convicts us. The Spirit intercedes for us in our prayers. We are participants in also what the Spirit does. And we are obedient to the gospel that the Spirit has revealed. That we are sanctified through the truth that the Spirit has revealed. We are convicted and saved by the truth that the Spirit has revealed. We pray, and the Spirit has a work in our prayers. We are able to come to enjoy the fellowship with our spiritual family because the Spirit has placed us in one spiritual body. The body of Christ. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in verse 13, for by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. And all, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one drink, of one Spirit. That the Spirit has put us in one body and we have a spiritual family. The church of Christ. And so we can see that we have fellowship with God. Those who have been saved, those who have been baptized and have been added to that body, we have fellowship with God. We have fellowship with Jesus. And we have a fellowship with the Spirit. We are the beneficiaries of what the Spirit has done for us. And it begins when we are born again through baptism. And it continues throughout our life and our service in the kingdom of God. Tonight, if you have never come in obedience to the faith, to be baptized, to be added to the church, we would encourage you to come tonight in faith in Jesus Christ, believing in Him as the Son of God acknowledging and confessing that faith and being baptized and allowing 
God to save you and forgive you of your sins through Jesus and His blood and His sacrifice that He made, allowing the Spirit to place you in the one body of Christ, the church. And you can have a spiritual family. You can have a relationship and a fellowship with God, Jesus His Son, and with the Holy Spirit. Tonight we would encourage you to make your life right with the Lord if you have made that commitment to following Christ, but you've not been living as you ought to. And you need to make some corrections in your life. We want to be here to be an encouragement to you. We want to help you along that way. Tonight, if we can help you in some way, would you let it be known as we stand and as we sing?